Y'all can be seated. Do you know, Pastor, as Valerie mentioned, Pastor's off having fun with a whole bunch of radio broadcasters around the country. But we get to have some fun tonight with Jesus, amen? And man, I just had some awesome fun with Jesus this last week. For those of you who don't know, our annual SUM Mardi Gras outreach took place this last week. So last uh, last Wednesday, I took off and went to New Orleans, and I've been there all week. I flew back last night. Our team came back this afternoon, and we had an incredible, incredible time on the streets of Mardi Gras, bringing Jesus into that mess. Yeah, it was absolutely fantastic. So I want to share a little bit about that tonight, uh, but I, I don't want to talk just about that outreach. I want to talk about it in the context of becoming a disciple. One of my favorite things about SUM and our partnership with uh, SUM Bible College and Theological Seminary is the aspect of their heart to raise up disciples. Because the heart of leadership, because ultimately we're raising up new kingdom leaders. That's, that's the goal of SUM. That's our whole program is for those people who are, dis- who are called into full-time ministry. They get a bachelor's degree in order to prepare them and, and give them the tools they will need in full-time ministry to become the next generation of kingdom leaders. But the foundation of leadership in the kingdom is discipleship. You can't be a kingdom leader unless you're first a disciple. And the thing about discipleship, it's not just for leaders. It's for everyone. So tonight, I want to talk about becoming a disciple. You know, we talk a lot about becoming a Christian. We talk a lot about what it means to accept Jesus into our lives and, and, and respond to the gospel in the sense of uh, asking Jesus to be a personal Savior. But a lot of times, we stop there, and we don't go any further in the aspect of how do we become a disciple. Because just just because you've asked Jesus to be your personal Savior doesn't necessarily mean you're fully walking out the discipleship that he calls you to. Those are two different things. Now, obviously, one is predicated upon the other. However, a lot of Christians, you know, pray the prayer, walk the aisle, sign the car to become church members, but they've never been taught how to become a disciple. So I want to talk about that, some of the basics of what that means tonight. And, of course, all that goes back to the Great Commission. Probably the second most famous verse in the Bible. The first, of course, being John 3.16. So let me read to you John, Matthew rather Matthew 28, 19 and 20. This is out of the English Standard Version. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of, it, of the age. Now, this is a call to all of us. This is a call to all Christians to go and make disciples. And this is the aspect I love about SUM, is their heart in regards to disciple-making. And this is actually one of the, the aspects I love about the Mardi Gras trip. See, at SUM, SUM set up to provide future kingdom leaders with a fully accredited bachelor's degree to equip them with the tools they need for ministry. But their heart is not just for them to have the head knowledge. I've been to Bible school or, or uh, seminary where it's a lot of head knowledge and there's a lot of information. And that's good, you know, doctrine, theology, all those things are good. However, there's so much more to Christianity than just information. 
Christianity is about a relationship with Jesus. And that's at the heart of discipleship is our relationship with Jesus. One of the things I'm excited about this fall is we're expanding our disciple making with SUM into two new degree programs. The Bachelor of Arts in Theological Ministry, so it's an even deeper version of the Bachelor of Arts in Biblical Studies. But we're adding a new one, a Bachelor of Arts in Worship and Music. There are so many people who are called to ministry through worship. And they also need that, that theology, that, that equipping of the tools of ministry. So we're excited to be able to add that on. But I know each and every one of us understands that those up here that lead us in worship need to be disciples. And in addition to the academic side of SUM, there's the disciple-making side. And that's where Mardi Gras comes in. And this is a big part of what SUM is all about. Here's how Mardi Gras works. For those of you who have no clue uh, as far as the outreach goes and what, what it's all about, and maybe you're not familiar with Mardi Gras at all. Uh, I really wasn't. I'd heard of it, but I, I'd never been to Mardi Gras before, had no idea what it was all about. Mardi Gras, of course, is the, I, technically, Mardi Gras is the day before Ash Wednesday. That is the technical definition of Mardi Gras. So yesterday was Mardi Gras. Today is officially Ash Wednesday, 40 days before Easter. That's why Mardi Gras changes every year as far as the date, because it's based on the Easter calendar. And when the Easter occurs, 40 days before is Ash Wednesday, and the day before that is Mardi Gras. And, of course, Mardi Gras has turned into this, like, three-month celebration that goes on down in New Orleans leading up to what they call Fat Tuesday or Mardi Gras, which is yesterday. And, wow, it is, it is just wild. It is absolutely wild out there. The School of Urban Missions, or SUM, that's what SUM stands for, School of Urban Missions, was started in, in New Orleans by Chancellor George No, He was a pastor there, and he took his students to Mardi Gras to evangelize because that's where they lived. That was their culture. And he wanted to get those students out there to evangelize, and it's become part of the culture of the school. So every year we go out there. So this year we took almost 400 students from around the country. We descended on Mardi Gras. What we do is we get there. The students get there Thursday on Friday, Saturday, and Monday. During the day, they're in conferences and seminars because they actually get college credit. This is a course through their degree program, the Mardi Gras Outreach. So during the day, they have to go through classes. But in the evenings on Friday, Saturday, and Monday at 4 o'clock, we load up eight coach buses with 400 students. And we all drive out towards Bourbon Street. Now, you can't even get close to Bourbon Street during Mardi Gras. So we parked like two miles away and we marched this army. This is one of the most incredible things to see. An army of 400 students through the streets of New Orleans going down to Bourbon Street. It is an incredible sight. Then we get down to Bourbon Street and there's one block of Bourbon Street that we're on. We pack 400 students into one block. It's between, if you're familiar with it, it's between Iberville and Canal. Canal is where all the parades are. Of course, Bourbon Street is the most famous street there in the French Quarter, and that's where everybody goes for Mardi Gras, so that's why we're there. <clears throat> One block, 400 students for four hours. Anybody who walks through that one block is going to hear about Jesus three to 400 times. <laughs> it's fantastic. Now, 
as far as the outcome, uh, as far as the outcome of the evangelism, because the goal is to teach them to evangelize, to get a heart for evangelism, and to share their faith, and to get over the fear. And I'm going to talk about the fear part here in a minute, as far as the aspect of their discipleship. But as far as the people, you know, people go to Mardi Gras, they don't go there to encounter Jesus. They go there and encounter anything but Jesus. But if they walk through that one block of Bourbon Street, which almost everybody does, because after the parades are over, they all flood down Bourbon Street, and then they continue down Bourbon Street for all that other stuff. But in that one block, they encounter 400 people who want to tell them about Jesus, want to pray with them, want to just lay hands on them and, and bless them. So this year, for four days, we did that. Now, on Fat Tuesday, it's a little different. In the morning, we leave about 9 o'clock. We leave about 9.30 from the hotel, and we're there almost all afternoon until 4 in the afternoon. So we spend almost five, six hours out on the streets because that's when the big parades are and the big crowds and all that. So we spend a lot of time doing that on Tuesday. So four days, 400 students. Here's the outcome. These are the stats for Mardi Gras 2020. I've got a little slide that will show you what they were. Over 8,000 people were prayed for in four days. Over 479 salvations. Three, or 279 rededications. 114 people experienced the healing touch of Jesus Christ. And 37 people had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. In four days. 400 people impacted over 8,000 people who came to have a party and encountered the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So 8,000 people are going home different than they showed up at Mardi Gras. But there's another 400 that are going back different than when they showed up for Mardi Gras. But they didn't show up to party. They showed up to be evangelists. One of the biggest aspects of the Mardi Gras outreach is not for the stats. Those are great, and they're great every year, and people have encounters with Jesus all the time because of this. But one of the things I absolutely love about the Mardi Gras outreach is not what, it's, what happens on the street, but what happens in our students. Eighteen, 20, 30 years old, going out into the middle of Mardi Gras. You have no idea what's going to happen. And I guarantee you, even though we had the opportunity to minister to over 8,000 people, we probably saw close to 30,000 people flow through those streets in four days. And the other 22,000 didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus. And believe me, they tell you they don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. One of my responsibilities is to oversee the safety team. And we're, we're just watching the students to make sure they're safe. You know, we don't go out there. We don't evangelize. We make sure they're safe in their evangelism. And there's many times that we have to intervene with people to keep them away from the students, to make sure the students stay safe. Because there's people out there who don't want to hear it. And that's the biggest fear that students encounter is the rejection. Nobody likes to be rejected. But here's the thing, most of us, all of us, to one degree or another, struggle with the fear of man and the fear of what other people think about us. And when you get out on the streets of Mardi Gras, you're face to face with your fear of man. 
and your fear of what other people think. And every student that has gone through this cohort, this partnership here at Turning Point Church, one of the things I love is when they come to me and say, I can't do this anymore. This isn't for me. I want to quit. I love that conversation because it tells me they've reached the end of themselves. They've reached what they think they can do. And now I've got an opportunity to put them in a position for them to experience what only God can do. And when they will take one more step, they learn what it means to be a disciple. Because they go out there and they experience something that only God can do through them. And they go further than they thought they could go. And their lives are instantly changed. And they get on that bus on Tuesday night or Wednesday morning, and they can't wait to go back. Three days earlier, they couldn't wait to quit. Now they can't wait to come back because they had an encounter with Jesus. Because they experienced the power of the one who is in them to a degree they had never experienced it before, and it radically changed their life. I'm thoroughly convinced you cannot be a fully committed disciple of Jesus Christ until you experience something beyond yourself or the someone who's in you who's beyond yourself. That's what I love about Mardi Gras. And I see it all the time. And I love going to Mardi Gras because I know at some point somebody's going to need to have that conversation to say, hey, there's somebody in you who can do what you can't. That's what discipleship is all about. And in the church today, we need a new generation of disciples. When I say generation, I'm not talking necessarily about age. What I'm talking about is a generation of disciples who are no longer just converts, who are no longer just participants in a Sunday morning service. They have had an encounter with Jesus that's taken them beyond themselves and they now have a new level of trust and want to not just quit, but they want to quit themselves and allow Jesus to be himself through them. Because that's what happens in that encounter at Mardi Gras is they come to the end of themselves and they quit on themselves in the sense of quitting their own ability and allowing God to manifest his ability. That's the type of generation we need in the church today. Because there's no doubt in my mind, there is a great move of God yet to come. There is another great awakening that is yet to come. But it's going to require a new generation of disciples. We've developed this consumer mentality in the church over the last 20, 30, 40 years, where it's about getting something from God rather than giving up myself to God. There's a big, big difference. You know, when I go to Walmart, I go there to consume the goods they sell. I don't pick up a mop and start mopping the aisle. And right now in the church in general throughout this country, we have a bunch of consumers. We don't have a bunch of producers. We don't have a bunch of people who are kingdom leaders. We need a new generation of disciples in this country that are not just full-time ministers, but they're just disciples. The Lord changes the world through his disciples. That's plan A. 
That's what the Great Commission is all about. It's plan A and there is no plan B. And I'm telling you right now, God is in the process of raising up a new generation of disciples. And each one of us has the opportunity to say, here am I, send me. I want to be part of that new generation. And again, this has nothing to do with your age. I don't care if you're 8 or 80, it doesn't matter. You can be part of this generation that is yet to come of new disciples that God is raising up right now in this country, in the church in this country. So let's talk about what a disciple is. What is a disciple? Because we know what a convert is. We know somebody who accepts Jesus as their personal Savior has been converted to Christianity, has risen from death to life. They're, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come, as Paul says. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. But what about discipleship? Discipleship is predicated, of course, it's founded on the gospel in the sense of salvation, but there's so much more to discipleship than just salvation. Because ultimately, the core of discipleship is not how much you know about Jesus, it's how much you obey Jesus. That's what discipleship is all about. I don't care if you have a doctorate from the most prestigious theological seminary in the world. If you're not obeying Jesus, your knowledge does not make you a disciple. And one of the things we tend to do in the church is we value knowledge over obedience. And that's just not true. That is not what Jesus values. You don't have to be a theological scholar to be a disciple. You don't have to memorize the entire New Testament to be a disciple. You just got to obey what you read. That's it. That's what God's looking for. And that is at the heart of discipleship. But obedience is not just a matter of following the Ten Commandments in the sense of those types of things. It's a matter of surrendering your life to God because there's things that God's going to call you to do that are not listed in the Bible. And I don't mean sin. We have a, a member here at Turning Point Church who was a principal in Fort Worth ISC for many years. And the Lord came to her and said, you know, when you retire, I want you to sell everything you have and move to Africa. You know where she's at? She's living in Africa. She retired, she sold everything she had, and she is now living in Africa ministering to Muslims. That's the type of obedience I'm talking about. There was no verse in the Bible that says, sell everything you have and move to Africa. But she did because the Lord called her to do that. Because she's a disciple. She heard God's voice and obeyed. That's what, that's what we need in the church today, is people who are willing to obey. And yes, the Bible has the basic stuff. But again, there's no verse in the Bible that says, hey, I want you to give $10,000 to this ministry. I, I want you to go take this job because there's something I have for you to do at this company. I want you to go do this thing for your neighbor, whatever it is. 
There's no verse that says that. But there is a verse that says, my sheep hear my voice. They know me and they follow me. Following is inherent in obedience. You can't follow Jesus unless you obey Jesus. And that's at the heart of discipleship. But one more step in discipleship is not, there's salvation, there's obedience, but there's one more thing that identifies the hallmarks of discipleship is that you're not just a disciple, you're a disciple maker. You see, Matthew 28 isn't just about you becoming a disciple. It's about you making disciples. You and me go and make disciples. It's not just go and become a disciple. It's go and make disciples. So we enter through salvation. We grow in obedience. And we then go make disciples. The greatest verse that illustrates what it means to be a disciple maker is when Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. That's what it means to be a disciple maker. A disciple maker is not one who transfers knowledge. It's one who teaches people to obey by being an example of obedience. That's what it means to be a disciple maker. And a lot of people are afraid of going out and making disciples because they don't know enough. It's not about how much you know. I don't know it all, but I can get people connected to other people who do know more than me. That's not the point. The point is, are you worthy of being followed? And the vast majority of Christians in the church in this country today would answer that question, no. So if you're saying, no, I'm not worthy of imitation, what you're saying is, no, I'm not yet a disciple. It's the same thing. That's not saying, I'm not saying that to condemn anybody. What I'm saying is, this is what the standard is. And we have to get back to that standard. We have to get back to where I, you, every single Christian can turn around to one person and say, hey, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's what discipleship is all about. Because what God calls the other person to may be different than me. And what he calls me to may not be what they call that person to. But the principle of obedience is exactly the same. That's what it's all about. And this call of discipleship, again, is not just for my SUM students. It's not just for pastors or church staff members. It's for everybody. Anybody who has accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior has been called to become a disciple, which means you're called to become a disciple maker. It's the same thing. There is no difference in level it's one, it's on or off. It's binary. You're a disciple or you're not. There's no levels. There may be a difference in capacity that you're able to influence more people in making disciples. But it's, that doesn't matter. What matters is are you influencing at least one person to become a disciple? And are you allowing at least one person 
to follow you as you follow Christ. That's what it's all about. Now, again, I say most Christians in this country would answer that question, no, I'm not worthy to be followed. And the reason they answer that question, I'm not worthy to be followed, is because we have a fundamental misunderstanding of what the gospel is all about. We think the gospel is about going to heaven one day. Yes, heaven is involved. But the focus of the gospel is not about you and me going to heaven. God is not in the heaven population business. That's not his goal. He's got billions of angels populating heaven. That's not the point of the gospel. The point of the gospel is to reestablish the relationship he intended to have with you when he created you in the first place. That is the goal of the gospel. It's not about what happens today. It's about what happens, in you, what happens tomorrow. It's about what happens in you today. The gospel is not about the future. It's about the very present. It's not about a place. It's about a person. It's about your relationship with Jesus today, not your presence with him tomorrow. We have to get back to the fundamental understanding of what is the gospel. Because if you really understand what the gospel is, you can answer the question, are you worthy of being followed with yes? Because the reason people answer that question no is because, well, you know, I've done this, I've done that, you know, I thought this, or I do this, or, you know, you don't know my life, or this has been done to me, I've had this experience. And they historize all their life before Christ, and they say, I'm, that's why I'm not worthy. Or they look at what they're struggling with today, this is why I'm not worthy. Do you not realize that's a works salvation? That is a works salvation. The gospel is not about what you've done. It's about who you've become in him the second you said yes to Jesus. It comes down to an identity issue. There's only two identities you can have as a human being. Number one is a victim mentality identity. And we all have that to one degree or another because we were born in sin. And being born in sin makes you a victim, and it makes you think like a victim. But the gospel turns you into a victor the second you said yes. You don't become a victor. You already are a victor in Jesus' name. You just don't realize it yet. You just haven't fully experienced it yet. When I speak to those students, when they come to me and say, I want to quit, it's because they're using their victim mentality. And when I get them to take one more step, they experience the victory they have in Jesus, and it radically changes their life. And that victory that they have experienced, you can experience today. Not tomorrow, not next week, not when you go to heaven, today. Because it's already in you. And I'm going to prove that to you right now. Because I know some of you are probably thinking, yeah, but you don't know what I've done. No, I don't know what you've done. You don't know what I've done. You don't know who I am. Well, if you're in Jesus, I do know who you are. You just haven't figured it out yet. 
you don't know who you are. So if you've ever seen me teach, you know exactly where I'm going. I'll be drawing some squares, right? If I draw squares, everybody's going to throw me out. All right, here we go. I always draw in circles. Okay, here's the thing. All of us have three parts, body, soul, and spirit, okay? The body on the outside, everybody sees that, okay? You've got the soul, and in the middle is the spirit. Now, if you've seen this before, don't check out on me because I'm going to do one more level that we haven't done before, okay, in the context of discipleship. Now, when I talk about the soul, I'm talking about the mind, the will, and the emotions. It's us. It's our personality. It's who I am. This, it's the real you. It's the real me. This is not me. I'm on the inside, okay? Your body is not you. You're on the inside. Now, we're all born... If you're born on earth, anybody not here born on earth? Okay, all right. Hey, there's one. All right, we'll, we'll talk later. If you're born on earth, you're born with a spiritually genetic disease that the Bible calls sin. Okay? Everybody is born in sin. There's no escape. And that sin infects the way you think, the way you feel, and the way you act. There's no getting out of it. And that infection ultimately are lies you believe about yourself, about others, about God, about whatever, okay? And it's that infection that actually leads to the action we tend to call sin. But the reality is this is the sin right here. It's the lie, the lie that leads to the action. The root of sin is here. This is just the fruit of it. And this is why... When we see this, we try and get rid of this. And oftentimes we try and use willpower to overcome our sin, but that never works because this is not the problem. This is the problem. Sin is a spiritual infection. It's not a a behavioral manifestation. That's why Christianity is not a behavior modification program. We've tried to turn it into that, and we've, we've... communicated the gospel in that way, but that is a false gospel. That's a works salvation. When we were out on Mardi Gras, we saw these guys out there with these signs condemning everybody walking by, telling them to clean up their act because God doesn't love them unless they fix themselves. That is a false gospel. If they could fix themselves without Jesus, they wouldn't need Jesus. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not get your act together and God will love you. That is not the gospel. The gospel is God loves you because you're broken and you have no ability in and of yourself to fix your life. He loves you so much he wants to come into your life and be the fix that you can't be. God cleans you up after salvation, not before. And we have to be very careful that we do not inadvertently communicate a false gospel and let people know you got to clean up your act in order for God to love you. Because that's impossible. That is absolutely impossible. That's religion. And we also have to make sure we also don't 
tell ourselves a false gospel that after we come to know Jesus, that okay, now Jesus has loved us, now I still gotta, you know, I still gotta fix my act. It's up to me. No, it's not. You still can't do it. The only way you could try is through willpower, but willpower has no power over sin. Only Jesus has power over sin. So in this condition, we're a mess. Well, that leads us to the gospel. So what does the gospel do that makes us have the ability to get our act together? Well, we can't get our act together. So we still have the three circles. Body, soul, and in the middle is spirit. The soul is still the mind the will, and the emotions. The gospel does not change you in the sense of you become some sort of robot. Okay? You're still you. But that sin core that was in there on the other circles, the gospel, what it does is it's called the great exchange. Theologians call it the great exchange. Jesus takes that sin core out and he replaces it with his truth, which is righteousness. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So we become, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we become righteous through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why I can tell you right now, you have been made worthy by Jesus. And it has nothing to do with all this stuff. It has nothing to do with that. It doesn't matter how many X's are out here or how much sin was manifest in your life before, as long as this is here. That's what counts. Now, after salvation, Jesus takes the sin core out. However, we've still got those X's in here because, you know, if I go shake somebody's hand, they've got the flu, I touch my eye or my nose or my mouth, I infect my body, I can go wash away the source of that flu, but I still got to deal with the infection. Jesus washes away the source of that sin, but we still have to deal with the infection. What is the infection? It's the lies we believed all our lives about ourselves, about others, about God, so on and so forth. That's why as a Christian, I can still sin, so to speak. That's why those actions, sometimes God removes some of those actions immediately. You know, and I've heard people say, you know, I've heard people, they they give their testimony of this immediate deliverance. You know, they were addicted to drugs or alcohol or whatever, and God radically changed their lives. I've never met somebody who could testify that God radically changed their lives where everything was gone. You only hear of the one or two things that are gone, they don't tell you about all the other stuff. Not that that, does, that doesn't diminish the testimony by any, any stretch of the imagination. It is still a miracle. However, there is no person on earth, there is no Christian on earth where God has radically removed everything and they're walking in perfect obedience and submission to God. That person does not exist. But what we do and what the enemy tries to get us to do is look at that person who you know, was delivered from drugs or alcohol and 
extrapolate that out and say, well, now God delivered them from everything, and I still got all my stuff, so that means God doesn't love me. And I'm really just not good enough. I'm just not worthy. That is a lie from the enemy. That is not true. There is no person who's had everything in their life been delivered from in, the in, in an instant. It does not happen. Again, that does not diminish the miracle of the deliverance. But there's a process of discipleship that God uses to develop you to overcome other things in your life. So, this is where we are. Here's where the transformation part comes from. It's the power of Jesus to transform our lives. We got to get this righteousness into our into our soul because we understand the lie, we just don't know the truth yet. The lie is I'm not good enough. The truth is you've been made worthy. So we need to get this out to combat this. Because when this goes, guess what goes with it? The fruit of sin goes with it. How does that happen? I'm, gonna sp- I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one. Uh, I've done this in the past. But that's where the word of God comes in. Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is living and active. It's spiritually alive. And as you get the word of God in you and you're feeding your spirit, it gets that truth out. The word of God is living and active, sharper than two, any two-edged sword, dividing between soul and spirit. And is a revealer of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Here's what happens. When you get the word of God in you consistently over time, it begins dividing between the truth that's in your spirit and the lie that's in your soul. And it reveals what that lie is, compares it with the truth, and now you have a choice. Which one am I going to believe? As you get into the word, it begins bringing those lies to the surface, not to condemn you. See, a lot of people get, get mixed up. The more they get into the word and the closer they get to Jesus, the more sin they begin to sing in their life. Go, wow, I really am a loser. No, you're not. This is the normal part of Christianity. It's the normal part of discipleship for God to bring the stuff out that's under the surface for him to reveal it to you. He already knows it's there. It's no surprise to God. It may be a surprise to you. But it's no surprise to God, and he brings this to the surface to say, hey, this is in you. I want to get it out. It's like a spiritual x-ray. If you go to the dentist, and the dentist takes an x-ray of your teeth, and there's a cavity in one of your teeth, and the the dentist puts that x-ray up on the big chart there and points out the cavity and says, boy, are you a loser? You got a cavity. What's wrong with you? You need a new dentist. Because that's not the point of the dentist. Or if your doctor does an x-ray of your lungs and he circles a big spot on your lungs and goes, wow, what a loser. What's wrong with you? You need a new doctor. Because that's not the point of the doctor. The point of the doctor is to identify the problem in order to diagnose for healing. And the great physician identifies the problem in our soul to diagnose for healing. And too often we allow the enemy to whisper into our ears, look what's wrong with you. Boy, are you a loser. And we listen to the voice of the enemy instead of the voice of Jesus. 
that says you've been made worthy. Because when we understand that we are righteous and nothing here and nothing here can change it, we are now positioned to allow God to reveal what is here in a way that it no longer affects our identity. And that's where I want to go here in the last few minutes we have together is I want to talk about identity. Because identity is at the core of discipleship. Because the real thing that students deal with out on the streets in that fear moment is am I worthy? Do I have anything of value to share? If you have a victim mentality, the answer to both of those questions is no. But if you have a victor mentality, you understand, yes, I've been made worthy. And because of Jesus, I have value to share with somebody who's in need. And that's evidenced by those statistics of over 8,000 people touched by the love of Jesus in the middle of Mardi Gras. There's nothing impossible with God. So I want to look at this concept from the aspect of identity. Because identity is at the core of discipleship. You cannot walk in the fullness of, of discipleship until you understand your identity in Christ. Because you're not going to be able to obey. Because God's going to ask you to do some really hard things. Like go to Mardi Gras and stand out in the middle of Bourbon Street with a bunch of drunk naked people and say... Jesus loves you. You want me to do what? That's kind of crazy. God's going to come to you and say, hey, I want you to sell everything and move to Africa. What? That's kind of crazy. But there's people in this church that have done both. So how do we get ourselves into a position where we hear the voice of God and we just obey. We just obey. Because we're not afraid that we're not good enough and we have nothing of value. So the three circles are still in play, but I'm going to label them a little differently. You know, we have body, soul, and spirit on the other one. This one I'm going to talk about behavior, character, and identity. Now, on the outside of behavior, out here, outside the circles, is actions. Okay, this is what we all tend to focus on is the actions. I just want to stop doing something, or I want to start doing something. And, you know, the motivational speakers, I'm not against motivational speakers in and of themselves. I'm, I'm not a big fan of preachers who want to be motivational speakers. <laughs> But motivational speakers have a place, and, you know, you get motivated and all that. I loved Zig Ziglar. He was one of my favorite, uh, very strong Christian. But here's the thing about with motivational speakers. They want to work from the outside in. They work on habits and, uh, you know, routines and all this stuff and say, you know, your habits will, will develop your character, and then your character develops your identity. And that's just not the truth. It's the other way around. The core of behavior is character. If you want to change your behavior, 
You've got to change your character. It goes this way, not the other way. So if you want to change your behavior, you've got to change your character. But the core of character is identity. You will never consistently believe or act in a, in a manner that is inconsistent with how you believe yourself to be. When the seven sons of Siva encountered the demon and tried to cast them out in Jesus' name, because he said, hey, you know, come out in, in, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. And the demon turned to them and said, well, okay, Jesus I know. That's a no-brainer. Paul I know, which is a pretty interesting statement. But who are you? And they couldn't answer that question. And you know, the enemy asks us that question all the time. Just who do you think you are? And you know why he asks that question? Because he knows the key to discipleship is identity. If you cannot answer that question, you're going to be, you'll end up like the seven sons of Siva who ended up being overrun by the demon and they ran away naked and defeated. And that's where most Christians live spiritually naked and defeated because they don't know who they are. They can't answer that question. Just who do you think you are? This is where the gospel comes in. In our identity in Christ, we are righteous, which means we are worthy and we have value. The two things that we need in order to be a disciple. We need to know we're worthy and we need to know we have something of value to share with other people. It has nothing to do with our actions. It has nothing to do with our past. It has nothing to do with how I feel about myself. It has everything to do with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that says you have been made worthy and you have value. When you believe that, it changes the way you think, the way you feel, and the way you act, your mind, your will, and your emotions, which is the foundation, ultimately the will, is the foundation of behavior, and behavior leads to your actions. If you want to obey Jesus when he comes to you and says, hey, you know, this, this coming Halloween, I want you to go with a group to downtown Fort Worth, stand outside one of the, the haunted houses and witness to people. Because we've got a group that does that. They do it every year. And the Lord comes to you and says, hey, I want you to go with that group and stand outside the haunted houses downtown Fort Worth and just tell people how much I love them. Now you've got to answer a question. Do I feel worthy enough to do that? And do I have anything of value to share with somebody else? Your response to that, now I'm not saying everybody's supposed to do that. That's not my point. But your response to God when he comes to you and says, hey, I want you to go do this, is going to poke at your identity every single time. 
every time. I've had people come to me and say, you know, God told me I was supposed to go to Bible college 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. But I didn't do it. Why not? I didn't feel worthy. I didn't think I was good enough. I've had people come to me and say, you know, the Lord called me to be a pastor. 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, I didn't do it because I didn't feel worthy. I didn't feel good enough. I didn't think I had anything of value. And they're basing that decision not on the gospel, but on their actions or on their ability to overcome sin. And those two things will never lead you to feeling worthy or having anything of value because those things will always fail. But Jesus will never fail. Jesus will never fail. And Jesus will never call you to do something he hasn't given you the ability to do. But it will require you to step out beyond your own ability. It will require you to step out in faith. There's a big difference between the Red Sea and the Jordan River. You remember the Red Sea. When the, when the Israelites came to the Red Sea, they had just left Egypt. They're faced with the Egyptians behind them and the Red Sea in front of them. They were, they were stuck. They couldn't go anywhere. God literally boxed them in. And, you know, there's going to be a times in your life when God's going to box you in. And he's going to do it on purpose. Just like he did it with them. The place that they went to was called Pihahirath. There's going to be times when God leads you to a Pihahirath place where you cannot move. You can't go back and you can't go forward unless God does a miracle. And that's where they were. They were at Pihahirath. They were stuck. And God did a miracle. This is a picture of salvation. We're stuck. We can't go back and fix our life, but we can't go forward and go on with God on our own. So there they are staring at, the, staring at the Red Sea and God opens the Red Sea and they walk through on dry ground. He does an absolute miracle. That is the picture of salvation. They did nothing to make it happen. They had no hand in it whatsoever. God did the whole thing for them. That's salvation. Jesus did everything that we couldn't do, and we had no hand in it. He initiated it, he fulfilled it, and he completed it all by himself. That's what salvation's all about. But 40 years later, when they reached the edge of the Jordan River. Now, the Jordan River is not like the, the Trinity River here. It's not this little brook. You know, it's not like this flowing, nice, peaceful, oh, I'll just step right across. And come. No, this thing is huge. And it was at flood stage. If you've ever seen the, the pictures of, of rivers during major floods that are wiping out entire cities, that, you know, the, it's got the big sign, turn around, don't drown. You know, they're staring at the sign, and there's the flood. And it was, ah, you know, God's saying, I want you to cross. But this time, it was different. At the Red Sea, God opened the Red Sea and then told them to step in because salvation is done completely by God. He wants you to act on his obedience. 
Jesus' obedience to the Father. But at the Jordan River, God said, you step in first, then I'll open it. He required the priest to go into the river while it was still flowing before he opened the way. If we're going to walk into our kingdom destiny, we have to walk through the, the Red Sea. We have to trust that what Jesus did is totally sufficient and has nothing to do with us. We just accept it. But when we get to the point where we're walking into our kingdom destiny, we have to get to the place where we are relying on who we've become in him and who he is in us, and we step out before he moves. And we trust in faith that he will do exactly what he said he will do. He will never leave us or forsake us. When I speak to those students who want to quit, I tell them you've got to take a step that you can't take on your own and trust that God is going to honor that because of your faith. And he does it every single time. You know how hard it must have been for our member to go and sell everything and move to Africa? You know, God didn't just drop a million dollars in her lap. She sold everything and trusted God in faith that when she got there, he would keep her. Because it's, it's not a wise thing to go into a Muslim country and start sharing the gospel on your own. But if you do it in Jesus' name because he told you to do it, you got nothing to worry about. But it doesn't mean there won't be any fear. Because there will be. I don't know, each and every one of us has a fear that we have to face in our life. That God has called us to go beyond ourselves. The only way we can do it is if we're walking in our gospel identity. And it's not something we have to grow into. It's something we already have. We don't earn it. It's already been given. It's in you right now. Your, your soul just hasn't figured it out yet. You've got to allow God to transform your mind. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will know what is that pleasing, perfect will of God. And that is done through your daily relationship with Jesus by being in the word every day, spending time with Jesus every day. You learn who he is in you and who you are in him. Would you stand with me? So as we close, I want to challenge you tonight to make a couple of decisions. Maybe it's just one of these. Maybe it's all of them. It doesn't matter. God knows your heart. You know your heart. And you know where you are in your walk with the Lord. So as we close, here's the three challenges I make to you. Number one, if you tonight realize, you know what, I'm a convert, I'm a Christian, but I have not become a disciple yet. I want you to make a commitment to Jesus tonight to allow him to transform your life into a disciple. And a disciple is somebody who's accepted Jesus, obeys Jesus, and makes disciples. 
and says of themselves, I am worthy to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And then maybe you've realized, you know what, there is a fear in my life. It's eaten my lunch because I'm looking at it from a victim mentality. I want you to make the commitment tonight that you will, in faith, view that from a victor mentality, from a victor perspective. And if you're having trouble doing that, you need to get in the Word every day because that Word will transform the way you think. And then number three, tonight, I want us all to make a commitment to be disciple makers. To allow God to bring one person into our lives that we can say, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. Doesn't matter how much you know or don't know, it's irrelevant. What matters is you can teach them how to obey. You don't need a degree in theology to teach somebody how to obey Jesus. You just need the experience of doing it yourself. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, first of all, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for the gospel of Jesus Christ that is the power of God unto salvation. And, Lord, I thank you that by that gospel, through the blood of Jesus Christ, all our sins have been washed away. Lord, you have made us righteous, whole, complete, worthy, and have value today as we stand because of Jesus. And it has nothing to do with our actions. So, Lord, today and tonight, Lord, I just pray that you would give a deeper revelation to each and every person of their, their worth and their value in Jesus. And for each person as they've listened and heard your spirit speak to them tonight, Lord, I pray for those that are making a commitment to be a disciple, Lord, I just pray that you would solidify that in their lives. Lord, you would honor that commitment and their faith tonight. Lord, those that are facing fears, Lord, I pray that you would give them that renewed understanding of the victory they have in Jesus to face those fears. And Lord, I pray for all of us tonight, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would give us the boldness and confidence to say to somebody that you will bring into our lives, follow me as I follow Christ. So, Lord, I pray a blessing on each and every person tonight. Lord, you've heard their hearts. You've heard their prayers. Lord, I pray and I thank you, Lord, that you are the God who hears and you are the God who answers. So I thank you in advance for those answers. And, Lord, I pray that you would just confirm your word in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Give the Lord a hand tonight. All right, guys. I believe in you because Jesus believes in you, okay? So when you walk out those doors, I return you to your regularly scheduled lives already in progress. But when you walk out those doors, don't walk out as a victim. Walk out as a victor in Jesus' name. So this Sunday, Pastor Sonny Kanatsri, you don't want to miss it. The next week, Pastor will be back from uh, the National Religious Broadcasters, and we will continue on in his series. We love you guys. Y'all have a great night. God bless.